When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I was like, hey, does anybody, is there an IMDb of podcasts? If not, does anybody want to build that with me? And that's where I found my co-founder. This is Podcast Perspectives, a show about the latest news in the podcast industry and the people behind it. I'm Jeff Umbro, your host and the founder and CEO of The Podglomerate. We're a podcast agency focused on production, audience growth, and monetization for some of the biggest podcasts in the world. Today on the show, I'll be speaking with Podchaser CEO and co-founder Bradley Davis about his journey, how his platform revolutionized a lot of the podcast ecosystem in ways that we know and in ways that we don't. Full disclosure, the Podglomerate has been a happy customer of the platform for years. If you're interested in learning more about the Podglomerate, please head to podglomerate.com or resources.podglomerate.com to see some of the latest things that we've been working on, including a transcript of this conversation, plus tips and tricks from our team and interviews with some of the top creators in the podcast space. Let's get to it. All right, welcome to the show, Bradley. First question is, what is Podchaser? Great question. And thanks for having me. Um, Podchaser is a database company. And in simplest form, we collect data about podcasting to help people find stuff related to podcasting. And can you break that down a little bit? Like who uses this? Sure. So a lot of people, we have listeners. So this is kind of what we built the site for in the very beginning. So if you want to find a podcast to listen to as a fan, that's the bulk of our traffic to the website. And then if you are a company, uh, maybe a PR firm or a marketing agency or a podcast publisher, you would use our paid features and our on-platform SaaS product, which is Podchaser Pro. And then we also have a lot of these mainly podcast platforms use our API to power some of their internal tooling, whether it be for show acquisition or to help build out a catalog for a podcast product. Quite a few of our clients use our API. Since you brought it up, I, I am curious through the API, you mentioned that people are looking at this for like show acquisition strategy and that kind of thing. So are you suggesting that the ACASTs of the world or the Wanderers or any of the big networks might be using this to kind of do some of their market research as to who they may want to pursue or like what kind of genres they want to go after? Absolutely. I'd say most major podcast publishers utilize our data for some sort of acquisition or market research, pinging our API every single day to find the next big hit. Yeah. I mean, we, we do that at Poglomerate, not quite in the same way. Like, you know, it's not necessarily us looking for acquisition targets, but on the media side, it's super helpful. And we'll dive into that in a moment. But Bradley, where did this company come from? Great question. So 
I was selling cardboard boxes for a living. Oh, you were. Yes, I was. <laughs> so I was a cardboard box salesperson, which is a very sexy lifestyle that I can talk to you more about later. So anyway, I was obviously very successful and was driving a lot every day and started to get really into podcasts. And I found myself getting excited to get in the car to go knock on the door of some 50-year-old maintenance worker trying to sell them boxes or rags or whatever. And I found maybe six months into this, I felt like I had ran out of podcasts to listen to. And so I'm a huge nerd and I'm really into IMDb and Letterboxd and all of these sort of database products for other media verticals. So when I went to look for the solution in podcasting, I was really kind of shocked that there was like nothing at all. It was like 2017. Only thing I could find was like these obscure bodybuilding.com forum posts and like subreddits and just these like little corners of the internet that would have these like brief conversations about a topic I was interested in. So I went on the podcast subreddit and I was like, hey, does anybody, is there an IMDb of podcasts? If not, does anybody want to build that with me? And that's where I found my co-founder. So the two big use cases outside of the API portion are just listeners. And you've been called often the IMDb of podcasting and podcasters, or I guess like media or communications departments at companies may want to use this for research. So how are people, we'll start on the podcaster side, like how specifically is somebody using this? If they're like a hobbyist, they have 5,000 listeners a month across a weekly interview show or something. How are they using the platform? Yeah. So we have roughly 50,000 podcasters on the platform. So they will come in and our tooling for podcasters is free. You claim your podcast, you add additional metadata, such as like a custom category. Credits is a big piece of this. So adding yourself as a host and then adding yourself to other shows as a guest or a producer or whatever it may be, and kind of building out almost a resume for yourself within the industry. Once you input this data, it's easier for others to find you and to collaborate with you. A lot of independent podcasters use Podchaser to kind of find their cluster in the podcast universe and work with other podcasters within that cluster for things like cross-promotion, co-marketing, and networking. And then in terms of how a listener might use it, you know, somebody who's, I don't know, seeking out like a hunting podcast that they want to listen to. So I know a lot of people are finding this through like Google search queries and that kind of thing. And then once they hit the site, how are they engaging with it? Yeah. So there's varying levels of, I guess, engagement from a listener perspective. Like you said, most people will hit our website through Google search and then that will help them. You know, for example, they're trying to figure out a celebrity's guest appearances and trying to build a list of podcasts that they want to listen to around a certain personality. Then some of our more engaged users will build lists to try to curate and catalog shows that they've already listened to, which is a, actually a really popular use case, or to curate shows to listen to, generally through like our bookmark functionality. So going in on an episode level and building a, a list, and you can, you can actually export that list to an RSS feed and pop that into your podcast player of choice. We definitely view ourselves as sort of backup or an additional resource on top of your favorite podcatcher. We don't want to play that game because it's a very crowded, very competitive space that has billions of dollars into it. So 
we try to create tooling that can offer kind of a deeper dive into the podcast catalog at large and help users really hone in on a specific uh, group of shows or show to listen to. I think that uh, a lot of the tools that you have created have been super valuable, especially over the years. I'll just speak as like a client and full disclaimer, Podglomerate is a paying client of Podchaser Pro. Thank you, Podglomerate. <laughs> Thank you for making the tool. It makes our lives really easy. So we have historically done a lot of work in the space of like actually, you know, creating these playlists and sharing them on social and like using this as a platform for us to actually create added value for consumers and listeners and that kind of thing. But the real thing that we love and keep coming back to at the Podglomerate is the Podchaser Pro tool. And just to take a step back at, at the company, like we're often doing these audience growth campaigns, which consists of marketing, PR, cross promotion, pitching podcast apps, paid acquisition, which often includes buys on other podcasts. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is just, it's really difficult to tell the size of some of the shows that maybe you're buying ads on or that you wanna be pursuing for publicity opportunities or cross promos. Podchaser Pro is, is one of the first and, and one of the better tools that like really helps you to understand like the kind of demos and audience sizes of these shows that you are trying to target. So can you walk us through like why you built Podchaser Pro kind of the makeup of some of the folks who are using it and like what has kind of developed over the years since you launched it. Yeah. So when Podchaser first started, I knew pretty much nothing about podcasting or media at all. And it was just a random idea on a Reddit thread that it stemmed from me wanting to find more podcasts to listen to. And so once we built Podchaser and got some funding and started having some progress, the question came eventually, which was, how do we make money? How do we charge for this? And I think as we surveyed and talked to people in the industry and outside the industry, but tangential to the industry, it was the same problem, the same complaints, which is just that podcasting is very valuable, but it's very fragmented. The beauty of podcasting is that it's fragmented, but that also gets in the way of podcasting's growth. So we tried to marry our skill set of search, discovery, and aggregation with pro tooling. And so essentially we just decided like we need to figure out how to measure or estimate the size of every podcast. How do we do that? And at the time we're like, well, that's impossible. So that's not going to work. But we eventually started partnering with podcast apps who send us these aggregated and anonymized sample sets of the popularity of podcasts. And then coupled with our search and discovery, we realized that a ton of people need this sort of functionality. And so we built Podchaser Pro. So I guess really the the initial impetus was how do we make money? And then drilling down from there, it was how do we make money in, in a sustainable way that serves the industry and, and where are the gaps? And what what kind of people are using this platform? I know how we use it, but like I, I'm curious if there are other use cases. Within the industry, I think your use case is very popular. So market research, cross promo, audience development, we have a lot of usage from PR firms, marketing agencies, media planners, nonprofits, brands, any sort of organization that behooves them to find podcasts more efficiently to accomplish X goal. 
tends to use the platform. So PR was a, was a really big surprising one because their use case was we have a executive from a fortune 500 company and they're getting pitched to be on all these podcasts. But as a PR professional, I can't qualify the opportunity and I can't measure that opportunity in any, in any such way. And so I knew nothing about the PR industry. And that was our first like really big client base was just a qualification tool to figure out if these big CEOs should be on these podcasts, which I think has actually helped a lot of, well, I know it's helped hundreds of interviews take place within the industry. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I actually come from the book publicity world. We have every single book publisher. Yep. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big use case. Yeah. We, I remember this was back in like 2016 was when I left that job, but they were just starting to ask about the podcast industry at that point, because in part because of serial and everything that most listeners to the show will be aware of. The industry just kind of like took everybody off guard and started to become a more accessible way to implement media strategy beyond like the legacy publications. Yep. But because it was the wild west, like genuinely there was a point in the world where nobody knew like, and this is going to sound crazy, but like they didn't know if Joe Rogan or Chris Matthews had a bigger show. Exactly. So the tools that you built help people really try and figure that out. Bradley, one of the early messaging points that you had back in the day was that you were trying to solve like the podcast discovery problem. Uh, I guess I'll first ask, like, is that still one of the mandates that you're trying to achieve? Yeah, totally. I think that we view ourselves as trying to be the best at the very top of the funnel of the podcast journey, whether you're a listener or a buyer or, or whoever. So to do that, we need to aggregate as many useful data points as possible. I know there's a lot of discourse about uh, podcast discovery isn't actually broken. I'm not really claiming it's necessarily broken, but it's something that can be always improved upon and it's something that's good for the industry. So totally, we're, we're very focused on discovery and the, our three steps are discovery, qualification, and action and trying to use data and use data across ideally every podcast in the world to make that easier. So I guess a question, and I think you kind of answered this, but I'll just ask it more directly. Like, do you feel that what you've done has helped to improve podcast discovery? Certainly, at least I can only talk to our own experience, but with our clients who include most of the big podcast players, they utilize our data to make discovery easier and better, whether it's for their products or for their end users, which are podcast listeners. So I would say yes, but I think we have way more to do and way more to go. It's a constantly evolving problem that we are just always chasing because it keeps growing. And so it just gets harder and harder. Yeah. When I first started in the industry, I was writing a bunch of articles for outlets like Paste and The Daily Dot and a few other folks. And I remember I wrote an article about the podcast discovery problem. And I like very pointedly in the article said that that doesn't exist. And then the editor of the article changed the title of the article that said to say something along the lines of, how to fix a broken podcast discovery problem because you know it's good clickbait but i'm just like that's did you read the article i don't know <laughs> so who are some of your competitors if if you have any competitors yeah uh listen notes magellan uh google <laughs> just those guys so yeah google i don't know if you've heard of them yeah there are a lot of companies that do parts of what we do as far as like a one-to-one -one full suite competitor, luckily, I don't think we really have that because, you know, from the beginning, we were trying to be kind of boring and, and just handle a pretty small sliver 
and uh, have resisted the temptation to like, oh, let's do TikTok now and let's do YouTube, let's do everything else. So in that sense, like a lot of those other kind of intelligence platforms are much more robust for other mediums and that's great and that there's great use case for that. But we're just trying to double down and go really deep on podcasting. I love it. Yeah, I think asking that question is one of my favorites because I think it reveals a lot about how people are thinking about like the, the roles that they're in. But yeah, being boring has really paid off for you. What what happened last year? We got bought by a, this mysterious Swedish company <laughs> called Acast. Yeah. So anybody who's interested, you can Google it and find out how much, but it's a lot of money. And like, in theory, has a lot of like synergies that will really help to grow the business overall and so I wanted to actually ask you about that. Like from your point of view, why is ACAST the right buyer for this company? Yeah, I mean, it, it almost sounds cheesy at this point, but I think that ACAST represents one of the largest companies that upholds this vision of independent podcasting and not necessarily like a podcaster that has no sales affiliation, but just that podcasting should exist on its own independent ecosystem. And the more people we can get to listen to podcasting, the more money the industry can make and the larger the industry grows. So I think Acast is a uniquely large company that does only podcasting. So there's no terrestrial radio origin story there. There's no music origin story there. It was podcasting first from the beginning with a tech focus. So I think that's why it made the most sense was because that's what we're all about is aggregation, working with everybody and trying to get the word out about podcasting to as many places as possible. And so we kind of, from a philosophical lens, we aligned really well. I think most of our listeners are are going to be pretty familiar with Acast, but like just in case, in in ten seconds, like what is Acast? What the, what does that company do? Yeah, Acast is man. I hope I don't get in trouble for this. <laughs> They're a podcast platform, a hosting platform, and monetization platform as well. They have hundred million monthly unique listeners, so they're really big, and they're headquartered in Sweden. I think Acast is is interesting on a number of levels, not least of which is that they're a lot more advanced internationally than a lot of other companies are in the U.S. Yes. As a lot of U.S. consumers are, who are probably listening to this show, Acast is part of the conversation, but not as big a part as it is elsewhere. As we record this, I'm getting ready to go to London for the podcast show, and Acast is sponsoring like every single event. Yeah, Acast is, is pretty dominant globally. And its entry into the U.S. is unique because they can take learnings from, in some ways, more mature audio countries and bring that expertise into the U.S. That is both exciting and an opportunity and also a challenge at times to adapt to the U.S. and our podcast culture, which is very different than the U.K. And so I guess that leads me to my next question is that how has the transition been going so far integrating Podchaser into Acast? Yeah, it, it's been great. I think that the goal from the very beginning and the big reason why we agreed to do it was operational independence. So even from like a legal corporate structure, we're our own entity. I'm still the CEO of Podchaser. We're our own C-Corp. With that though, there's a lot of learnings and a lot of synergy. I wish there were a better word, but a lot of synergy between the two companies since you know we have this kind of data first, software first approach and Acast has so much more experience with the buyer journey and content and media. So combining those two has, I think, helped both companies quite a bit. But the transition 
has been great. Just a super fun and collaborative environment. Learning a lot about Sweden, which is always fun. And yeah, uh, no, no complaints. I promise I'm not, there's no gun to my head. There's obviously a lot of ways in which these companies will help influence and impact one another. I'm really curious, like what the plans are in the future. Have you thought about that? Have you talked about that? Like, it sounds like a lot of this is going to be complementary to one another. Like you have access to their API. They have access to all of your customers and everything for sourcing future deals or whatever. Is there anything else that I'm missing there? I think the future is exciting, Jeff. The <laughs> idea is that ACAS has more or less solved for very specific problems within the buyer journey. And I think as your user in the pro platform, a frustration or an opportunity is you find the show you want to interact with, you qualify it, but then you have to go off platform and go somewhere else to perform whatever it is you want to perform, whether that's buying an ad or guest pitch or whatever it may be. And so I think the future with the help of Acast is to do a lot more of that journey on the platform itself in a very efficient, automated way. The wheels are turning right now because I know that Acast has been like really pushing their programmatic marketplace and direct sales on platform and everything. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm now starting to put two and two together. So <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity to kind of blend the knowledge of Acast with the tech savvy of Podchaser and any more detail than that, I, I cannot reveal. I love it. But it'll be it'll be awesome. It's really exciting. It sounds like it. Honestly, you sound very happy. You sound like this is the right place for you. Thank you so much for joining us, Bradley. Everybody head to podchaser.com and check out the platform. You can follow Podchaser on all the different socials. And thank you so much for joining us, Bradley. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Thanks again to Bradley Davis for joining me on this episode of Podcast Perspectives. Thank you to our production team, Chris Boniello, Jordan Aaron, and Henry Lavoie, as well as Tom Grillo for creating the art for this episode. The music that you hear in this episode comes from Epidemic Sound. I also want to thank our marketing team, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, Morgan Swift, Matt Keeley, Annabella Pena, and a special thank you to Dan Christo. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you next week.